Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart.
pastor is not excited about Jesus, we got problems, but I got good news. I'm excited about Jesus today more so than when I was saved at 15, more so than a year ago, more so than six months ago. Because guess what? We are drawing close to the finish line. Amen. And so I have an expectation that uh, you guys and myself that we're going to grow exponentially over the next few months in expectation of God's divine arrival. Amen? Amen. All right. That's good. Glad some of you all agree with me already. Amen. I want to just jump right in. Uh, you know, one of the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest uh, Christian movies ever made is The Passion of Christ. And I, I, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's a terrifying experience. I remember seeing it in the theater many, many years ago. And I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. All I could do was weep at this, even a small fraction of what Jesus actually went through being displayed on a screen being rated R and, and showing, uh, like I said, a fraction, a percentage of what he went through. And if you guys have seen that movie, and I'm sure, you know, 99.9% .9 of you have, um, I wanted to show it to Cooper the other day, but, you know, he's three. <laughs> Candace is like, no. I said, yes. We kicked her out and we watched it. <laughs> Anyways. So, if you guys notice in that movie, Jesus is speaking, or his character rather, Jim Caviezel, is speaking the language that Jesus spoke um, predominantly uh, in his life, in his 33 and a half years, which is Aramaic. And as I begin to think about uh, teaching this morning, um, I, I, I had a word in mind, uh, the word cherish. And sometimes God will just give me a word and then I won't, I won't hear anything for weeks at a time. So I'll put it on my notes and my phone and I'll, I'll go back to it. And if nothing's happening with it, um, I'll leave it alone or... If it begins to be highlighted in my spirit, then I'll, I'll begin kind of the process of um, researching and talking with the Lord and, and mainly listening. Um, and I came up with this Aramaic word that Jesus uh, spoke quite a bit in his life. And I'm not going to be able to pronounce it correctly, but I'm going to do the best I can. The word is uh, keoba. And this word in Aramaic means love. So Jesus mixed with our English in his Aramaic would say, I keoba you. I love you. Um, I love you and keoba you so much that I laid my life down. I didn't get murdered. I, I KO'd you enough to lay my life down 
on the cross. Nobody had to make me lay there. I didn't fight with them to stop them from putting the spikes in my wrist and my ankles. I Kaoba you so much that I laid my life down for you. And then I began to research what the closest definition and the closest word in relation to this Aramaic word. And the word came back to cherish. You guys find this word in many places in the Bible. And I want to just start a little bit slow here. But I want to say, or rather the Holy Spirit, I believe, wants to say quite a few things today. Um, Y'all know I move pretty quick. So the heart of the Christian husband comes to mind um, biblically when we think about this word, this Aramaic word. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, Kaoba, your wives. As Christ loved and Kaoba the church and gave himself up for her, the word love is absolutely wonderful on so many dimensions in Christ, but the word love in America does, does not use the way that Jesus is saying it here and throughout the New Testament. Paul helps us to do so in verse 29. And the coherence of this verse that I just read in verse 25, the words nourishes and cherishes in verse 29 restate and clarify the meaning of the word love. So, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So and I wrote here, so Christ nourishing and cherishing the church as his own body is equivalent to Christ not hating but loving his church. Christ does not tyrannize us, but rather, just like a Christian husband, the Lord is over his bride as a head. And he will nourish and cherish his bride. And this is the point where I want to really get on to you guys and myself this morning. Is I believe there's some areas of cherishing in our lives that we have abandoned for less important junctures in our life. There are some areas that we have stopped cherishing because we have this list of priorities that we say are from God, but that list of priorities God actually didn't even give you. You created those priorities. And yeah, as always, I'm not going to go soft on you guys today. I think if I had gone softer in the last three and a half years of being here, uh, this service would be full. We'd have another service. We'd have two services right now. We'd have a lot of volunteers. We'd have a lot more t-shirt designs. We'd have more bumper stickers. We'd have a whole lot of people just happy-go-lucky. But we are not in that age. 
you guys cherish your church today? Do you cherish the opportunity to come in here and allow the Holy Spirit to get on the inside of you and begin refining you with fire? Have you ever had a campfire and you accidentally burn yourself? It's not fun. I want to say this. The word cherish means to develop, to nurture, to lift up. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul uses this word. He says, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this word nourish is freighted with a sense of dignifying purpose and care and attention. Still moving slow. The word cherish goes even deeper emotionally because the word means to comfort, to warm, and to soften. Our word heartwarming conveys this sense quite well. Paul uses this word in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, where he says, We are gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So in the context of this Aramaic word that Jesus said quite a bit in his childhood, in his adulthood, in his short life, this word keoba, where are the areas of your life, and I'll say it again, that, that you have abandoned? The areas of your life that you're not cherishing. Let's, let's go through some of those this morning. The first one is, Many of us have stopped cherishing the moment that we're currently in. You become hyper-fixated and hyper-focused on your past and your future, but you don't take time to cherish the moment that you have right now. The Bible does not guarantee us, God does not guarantee us another heartbeat. And yet we want to plan so far ahead. If y'all ask me when my next vacation time is going to be, I can't tell you. If you ask me what I'm preaching next Sunday, I can't tell you. If you ask 90 other pastors, they can tell you when their vacation is going to be and when they're, what the sermon series they're starting six months from now. I can't do that because I believe, and I'm not criticizing them, I'm just wired differently. I don't go that far ahead. Why? Because every time Court Riddle starts planning things for the future, God comes in and screws them up royally and makes them holy. And so finally I said, God, I'm going to stop wasting my time. I do all this work. I try to be, you know, studied up. And then I still study. I still pray, of course. I still research. But there's things I research and I study about that I've never preached. Partly because God says, you ain't ready. What? I'm not ready. Well, God, I've been in the ministry for 24 years. I'm, I'm ready. No, you're not. You're still a kid. we got to cherish the moment. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive? In other words, do you not get it? I am making a way in the desert and streams of the wasteland. 
Stop cherishing your past over your present. Stop cherishing your future over your present. Because guess what? If you don't do the right thing in your present and enjoy the joy that you have in God right now, you may not even make it to your future happy and fulfilled. James 4.14. Look here, you say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. You know, the Bible tells us that this life is a vapor. I was going to ask somebody to use their vape right now, but I won't do that. I want you not to vape, so that would be a horrible example. Oh, man. See, and this is why God doesn't let me preach everything, because I'm this way. Let's move on to the next point. Cherish the moment. Stop planning your kids' lives. I used to do that. I don't think Candace ever really made that mistake, but I, I began to plan things. I began to plan some things for, for, for Bailey and Hayden that have never come to pass. I don't know that they will come to pass. I know that God's plan will come to pass. But I'm okay now at 46 years old with Court Riddle's plan not coming to pass. Because Court Riddle's plan is not a very good plan at all. Men and women write books about their plans and their opinions of God. And many of us read those books and we say, wow, that's the voice of God. And God stays silent. He stays silent because he knows that for you to understand, it's going to take you some time to realize that the true book that you need to be reading and memorizing and learning and growing in is the Word of God. Amen. We've got to cherish being a keeper of our brothers. I want to just camp out here for just a few minutes if you guys will allow me to submit some of this to you. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. The term brother's keeper um, is really only mentioned once in the word of God. And it's found in Genesis 4-9, after Cain has killed his brother. When God confronted Cain about it, Cain belligerently asked God a famous question that seemed to come out of left field. Am I bro my brother's keeper? I'll remember this. Yet here in Adam's firstborn, who turned away from what he was taught, Cain took his brother's life and then resents being held accountable for that brother's whereabouts. He wasn't acting with love or anyone except himself and his own desires. Galatians 6.10 in the Amplified says this, So then, while we as individual believers have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, not only being helpful, but also doing that which promotes their spiritual well-being, and especially be a blessing to those of the household of faith, born-again believers. How many of you know that uh, you and me and everybody else have used the phrase, it's not my business, I'm staying out of it? Well, God has a different opinion about that. I know you don't want to hear it. Most things y'all don't want to hear that come out of my mouth. But, but here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. We can't take the stance of it's none of my business when people are on their way to hell. Amen. 
We can't take the stance of our children all the way. Oh, well, we don't, Pastor, we don't want to offend our kids. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. We don't want to make them mad. They're just going to get further and further away from church. Well, that's your first problem. You're, you're thinking that they need to be in church right now for them to be saved. No, they need to be saved, and then we can get them rooted in church. There's a lot of people in America that are sitting in church right now, and they're clapping, and they're amening, and they're hallelujahing. I don't know if that's a word, but it came out, and it was weird. It came out, and it was really odd. I guess I could speak Aramaic better than my native language. We got to be sincere about who we are in Christ in the church, or we can't be the church on the outside. We can't. Concern yourself with other people around you. Oh, Pastor, it's none of my business. You're, you're seeing your sister, your, your sister in Christ, your brother in Christ, falling through the cracks, backsliding, and you're not going to pick up the phone and call them because you don't want to offend them? Guess what? That's offensive to God. This do-nothing attitude by the church is what has gotten us here where we are right now. Where nobody wants to be held accountable for their sin. They just want a pat on the back and a hug from the pastor so they can be on their merry way and keep going in their lifestyle and culture of sin. It's cancer. And we have got to be a people in a church that say, no, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. If I've got a spouse that is not living for God, yes, I'm going to love them. Yes, I'm going to serve them. Yes, I'm going to be there for them. But we're also going to have some heavy discussion about them not knowing Jesus. We're going to have that discussion at the dinner table. We're going to have that discussion in the car. And they're going to get so sick. I know some of you don't agree with this. And I don't care. Here's what I care about. Is when you speak the word of God into the life of an unbeliever and a believer, there will be a seed that is planted. And you do your job. And the Holy Ghost will do his job. He's none of my business. You just keep on riding the fence and see how that's going to work out when you have a conversation with God. you got kids that are not living for the Lord. You need to be having this. I'm not saying preach to them. I'm not saying get in their face. I'm not saying them for, for them to appease you and give you platitudes and come to church because I, this is not a, those are not important things. What's important is that they give their life to Jesus. Stop talking about church all the time and be the church. I don't want people here that are, that are pushed to be here or pushed to give or they're here because of mama and daddy and mama and daddy want me here. That's not salvation. That's not change. That's not 180 degrees. Those are platitudes in the kingdom of God. And those platitudes will not enter into rest. Amen. we got to cherish in Christ's sufferings and our own. Let me read something to you that many of you know very well. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4. But he endured the suffering that should have been ours. The pain that we should have borne. 
All the while we thought that his suffering was punishment sent by God. But because of our sins, he was wounded. He was beaten because of the evil we did. We are healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows that he received. All of us, in verse 6, were like sheep that were lost, each of us going to his own way. But the Lord made the punishment fall on him, the punishment all of us deserve. He was treated harshly but endured it humbly. He never said a word like a lamb about to be slaughtered, like a sheep about to be sheared. He never said a word. In verse 8, he was arrested and sentenced and led off to die, and no one cared about his fate. He was put to death for the sins of our people. He was placed in a grave with those who are evil. He was buried with the rich even though he had never committed a crime or even told a lie. The Lord in verse 10 says, it was my will that he should suffer. I'm sorry, let me, let me read that again because I think some of you don't want to hear this part. It was my will that he should suffer. His death was a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. And so he will see his descendants. He will live a long life. And through him my purpose will succeed. Verse 11. And after a life of suffering. He will again have joy. He will know that he did not suffer in vain. My devoted servant with whom I am pleased. Will bear the punishment of many. And for his sake I will forgive them. And so I will give him a place of honor. A place among the great and the powerful. He will willingly give his life. And share the fate of evil men. He took the place of many sinners and prayed that they might be forgiven. Romans 5 verse 3 says not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. How do you get to hope without suffering? And it says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Cherish the suffering of Christ. And in doing so, learn to cherish the suffering and the pain and the grief and the mourning and the attacks and the onslaught that you go through. Because guess what? It's going to get to the point where you have an exceeding amount of hope. That's the formula. I'm not coming up with it. God gave us the formula right there in Romans. Come on. Give him some love. Amen. We've got to cherish our prayer and our praise. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 10, 15. I'm spitting all over my iPad today. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> Poor people on Spotify, they're like, what's he, what's he doing? I actually have a large towel and I'm wiping my face off. Okay. We are not boasting about work done by others that cannot be evaluated. On the contrary, we cherish the hope 
that your faith may continue to grow and enlarge our sphere of action among you until it overflows at 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Did you know that when we pray and when we get in that private place with God, see, everybody is different. Different. Some of us, and of course, you know, I, I do both because both are important to me. I, I pray uh, privately. I pray in, in a place of of lockdown, if you will, uh, not only in the atmosphere of nothing being able to bother me, but but the lockdown of my mind, where I've got to go in there and center in having a conversation, and more importantly than having a conversation with my father, is being able to get up, and, and this is a picture that I've had for years, and I've said it to you guys many times, and I hope you adopt this this image, this mental image in your heart and in your spirit is, is when you get in that private prayer time, you get in the lap of your father, God, and he puts his arm around you. And this is what we're talking about, the cherishing, the, the warming of the Holy Ghost that's on the inside of you that begins to warm you up, get you on fire. You know, to get on fire for God, you got to get warm first. To get on fire for God, you've got to start with a small flame, a small glimmer of hope, and you build and you build. Your private prayer time, don't stop cherishing that. And also, don't stop cherishing your time to pray with and for other believers and non-believers. Why? Because God cherishes that. God cherishes when we take the time to spend it with him. If you can take the time to spend so much time on Facebook and Netflix and Fox News and Twitter and Instagram, and you can take the time to Call your mom up and speak to her for two hours. Lord Jesus, I don't know how anybody can do that. <laughs> Praise God. Hopefully my mama doesn't listen to this. I love her, but I ain't going to spend no three hours on the phone with her. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> I was going somewhere with that, but evidently the devil just took hold. <laughs> so, But seriously, though, guys, we are investment with God and praise the way we lift our hands, the way that we go to the floor, the way that we, we, we plant ourselves in a, a posture of praise. And some of you are not worshiping throughout the week. Some of you barely worship when you come in here because you still have that stigma that you've allowed to attach to you, which is, well, I didn't grow up in this kind of church. You know, Pastor, when I grew up, if we weren't quiet, we got, we got paddled, we got whipped. Well, praise God, you're not in the Catholic Church anymore. Praise God, you're not in the Episcopal Church anymore. Praise God, you're not in a church that is based on legalism. You want to jump up and down, and you I was expecting during that, when y'all were singing about the running and running and running and running one more time, I was, I was, I almost started running, and then I, and then I realized I, I already sweat when I'm preaching. If I start running around, not only are people going to be devastated in their heart of hearts, 
by seeing their pastor running around. That, anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, I, decided, I decided not to run. But I was expecting somebody to start running during that song. You know what? In the mid-90s, people start running around when you talked about running to the Lord and away from the devil. What did I just open up just now? Next week, now, Pastor, you said... And Pastor, you, we knew it was the Holy Ghost when you said it. And we're gonna, we don't, they don't even need to sing that song about running, 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 running one more time. I'm gonna run. I'm gonna run anyways. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, Candace, take the song off your list. You know, we can never sing it again because I already know what's gonna happen. I just opened Pandora's box. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, how foolish. Okay. What about something that we goes along with our prayer and our praise? What about just remembering to cherish Jesus? To cherish your Jesus. He's yours. He's yours. He is your personal best friend, savior, brother, father. He should be your all in all. And if you guys can learn, and I can learn to cherish him, you will stop cherishing the wrong things in your life. Thank God for your job. But don't cherish your job. I thank God that I'm a pastor. I thank God I'm grateful to be here. I thank God that every day that he sent us here. Maybe not every day, but most days. <laughs> I don't want to lie in the pulpit. <laughs> Praise God. There's some weeks I'm like, yeah, no, no, no. God, you, you made a mistake. <laughs> oh, man. But if we cherish Jesus, it'll give light to the areas in our life that we've been gripping too hard on. You can, I, I love being your pastor, I love being here. But I don't, I don't, I cherish my calling, I cherish what God's doing. But I, I can, I can never get to the place where I'm cherishing a paycheck. That I'm cherishing a job. Because if I start doing that, especially in the area that I'm called to be in, if I start doing that, now I've stepped out of the will of God and I've stepped into being what the Bible would describe as a hireling. We've got to cherish our personal relationship with Jesus. Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says this, So let us know and become personally acquainted with Him. Let us press on to know and understand fully the greatness of the Lord and to honor and heed and deeply cherish Him. His appearing is prepared and is certain as the dawn and He will come to us in salvation like the heavy rain, like the spring rain watering 
the earth. I want to tell you a story that I've briefly said in the last couple of months, but the Lord has just been building this. So our, our house that we have, our home that we have, rather, um, we, uh, uh, in 20, I think early 2021 or late 2020, we, we added a, a front porch to our home. And before we added this front porch, uh, there was this really large tree in the front yard. And I had asked a local pastor just right down the street from me, also does tree service, and he, he came over and he said, he said, Court, I really need to take this tree down. And he said, well, and I said, okay, well, how much? <laughs> I, like, I was like, the sting of death is still there, you know? Anyways, for you guys that know scripture, you understand what I just said. If you don't, then it's obviously not funny to you. Anyways, <clears throat> so, um, so he says, well, you can cut, why don't you, why don't you let me take off these large limbs and that'll maybe give you some more time and you don't have to come up with this full amount of money. I said, okay, that's, that's cool. So we took off these huge limbs. And, and then, you know, a year and a half goes by and, you know, the tree is, is beginning to die. It's becoming a hazard. I mean, it literally, if it fell, it's going to fall right on our house. And, and so, so finally, finally we, we, we get a pretty good deal and we, we get the tree taken down. And after the tree was taken down, I was like, what a relief. Man, this is, we don't have to worry about, you know, the tree falling and crushing us, you know. And, and then we were left with this big old stump. And so you have to understand that every time I'm sitting on the front porch, it's a tree that's dying, a tree that has had large limbs taken off so that we can have more time because I'm cheap, right? And yeah, I put that in there and that's, I can self-admit to that. Um, so so and, and now I'm looking and now the tree is down and we've got this big stump, right? So months later, because I'm cheap, I finally get a person to come out and, and you know, grind down the stump. Well, that's great. Now I've got a grave in my front yard, right? It looks like a, a, a mass grave. Um, 10, 12 bodies could easily go in this spot. And so I'm constantly, you know, I try to do some studying outside, and, and I go out there early. Candace gets really early, and so I'll go out there, and, and I'll, I'll turn the water on. And I know that most of y'all don't water your yard, but I really wanted grass to grow on this, this grave site. And so I would water the yard and, you know, I was just thinking, hey, I'll just put some seed out. It'll grow. It'll be fine. It'll just go in real easy. Well, I don't know anything about Ohio. And I sure don't know anything about the, the you know, pH level and all these other things and the, and the dirt. And so, you know, so I called my friend Dave. He's here to Great Landscaper, by the way. And uh, he came out and he looked at it. And he was like, yeah, this is bad. I said, I know. I know. And so he was nice enough with, you know, Heidi's son, John, and another young man that came out, and they, they had to take out a truckload of that soil, right, that was there, because most of it wasn't soil. It was wood chips. And as you know, wood chips and growing grass don't go very well together. I'm giving the very detailed version of this story, right? 
And so they take out a full truckload of all of this, this sawdust and, and dirt and whoever knows what else is growing in there, right? And they come back and they Dave puts in this nice, rich soil. I'm sure he didn't get the best that he could have gotten because I'm cheap. <laughs> you know, anyways, probably gave me a good deal, praise God. So, so... So, so he gets the soil down, and man, they, they rake it, and, and they put seed down. I think he put some fertilizer down, and he says, now, Court, you got to water us. Don't you worry. I will be watering this grave site, right? So I start watering. Nothing's happening. In Texas, if you look at your grass and water it, grass comes up. It, it, it's, it's, I mean, you can literally overnight grass just in South Texas just, just grows. But it also dies quick because of the heat. And so I'm running through this in my mind the other day. And by the way, there's green grass now. It's covered. And, and there's grass everywhere. It's amazing. There's not holes in our yard. And Cooper's upset because he doesn't have a big grave site to play on with his trucks, you know, and uh, like a big dirt pit. And so I was thinking about this spiritually. And I was like, man, God, not only do you call us to cut the disease out of our life, but sometimes the disease goes down so deep that you tell us that we've got to scoop out all the bad soil. And not only do we have to scoop out all the bad soil, We've got to refill that large hole with the right fertile soil. And not only do we have to refill it with the right fertile soil, we've got to start raking that fertile soil into the rest of our life. Not only do we have to do that, but we have to water it. We've got to seed it. We've got to fertilize it. And we've got to be patient. The Bible says seed, time, harvest. You Christians really hate the part of time. Oh, Pastor, I sowed a seed last week. I don't see any fruit in my marriage. Okay. All right. You've had 30 years of marriage. It's been off the tracks. You got saved a week ago. Your husband's not saved. And you want him to be fixed next week because you just got saved last week. Doesn't work that way. There's a raking, and there's a fertilizing, and there's a watering. And there's a digging out of the old stuff and a putting in of the new stuff. See, the vessel has to, what's in the vessel has to change. For you to start growing, for the people in your life to start growing, there's got to be a, a removal process of the old things. And this is what's so great about the process of restoration in God, or, or uh, most of us call it sanctification. Is when we accept Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, now we have begun the process of sanctification. And you will go through the process of sanctification your entire life. And through the course of your entire life, you're going to experience the good, the bad, and the ugly. You're also going to experience joy, the joy of the Lord. It's going to be awesome. Some of you have experienced the joy of the Lord this morning. There's also going to be Mondays and Tuesdays when you feel like committing homicide. And there's going to be Wednesdays that you think, hey, it's, it's unimportant. I'm tired. There's no reason for me to come to church midweek. 
I'll just go on Sundays, but the Lord is prompting you to get in the house of God and get filled up again. Can you fill yourself up in the Lord? Of course you can. But man, you better be diligent. You better be committed. I don't know about you, but as I have a hard time staying home and praying in the living room when Cooper's screaming and watching Paw Patrol. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think I'm pretty close to the Lord, but when, when he's screaming and jumping on stuff and jumping on me and throwing Legos at my face and Paw Patrol is on there and then he wants to watch Fireman Sam, but then he wants to watch Paw Patrol and then he begins to scream at me like a demon from hell. It's very, it's very difficult to pray. <laughs> okay? Some Thursday nights when Candace is up here with the worship team being spiritual, practicing for Sundays, I have that night with Cooper for about four hours. <laughs> understand it's been a lot of years since I've been the father of a three-year-old, four-year-old. And so I'm, I'm learning. In the same way with you guys, the same way with all of our lives, it is a constant process to learn to cherish. Instead of being, listen, if you're a Christian today, there's truly not that much that you need to be prepared for. Because if you truly have Christ in you, you are already prepared for everything. You can store up and you can you can you can build this and build that and you can and all none of these things are bad, but I'm just telling you, if you spend so much time on negative things that are going to happen in the future and you don't cherish what's in front of you, you're going to lose sight of who Jesus is really is. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you <laughs> in my kingdom, right? Says it different ways. There's many mansions, houses, rooms. When he says that, I believe him. Which means that he is already prepared and or preparing. The way Jesus prepares your house for you is Beam go here, beam go there. You know what? All beams go where they're supposed to be. I'm going to go for a walk. I'll come back. He has already prepared for you the inheritance that, guess what? You didn't earn, but he earned for you. He's giving you his inheritance for what he did for you. Go figure that. I want you to stand with me. Praise team. Come on. Last point. Cherish the death of yourself. The Apostle Paul says, I die daily. And then Jesus, he confirms this in Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you guys know a Jew talking about a cross in that day and age was absolutely unheard of. Why? 
Because the cross represented the cruelest, most ugly, most undignified death in their kingdom, in their land. So Jesus is saying, you got to die to yourself every single day if you're going to follow me. I wonder, I wonder how many of us in this room today are actually doing that. And so right now is the time where you say, okay, this is pressure. Pa Pastor, the, the, hopefully you're saying the Lord is using Pastor Court to apply pressure into my life so that I make a choice to go deeper in Jesus. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Now, the, the goal here is that you say yes to that pressure. And you say, you know what? I, I do need to do things different as a father. I do need to do things different as a, as a wife. I need to do things different as a business owner. I need to do things different as a young person, an older person, a single person, a divorced person, an addicted person, a person still in bondage, a person still hooked on different things. I need to do things different. Well, guess what? The pressure that's being applied right now is for you to make the decision right now to go forward with going deeper in him and learning to cherish the life that you have in front of you for today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I am not guaranteed to be the pastor of this church tomorrow morning. God can just say, you're out. You're done. Here's your last breath. You need to cherish your death more than you cherish your life. Why? Because Jesus told us to. Die daily. Do you love? Do you use your life for what God has called? Of course you do. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you should be honored at the fact that you have the choice and the ability in him to daily say, you know what, God? How can I kill my flesh today in order to serve you and your kingdom at a greater level. That's really the conversation you need to ask. You get up in the morning, you roll out of bed. Instead of being grumpy about the day and then you're going to work and grumpy about this or grumpy about the fight you had with your spouse or grumpy about your teenager or grumpy about your adult kid that's on drugs. You should wake up and say, you know what? God, how can, I, how can I die today for you? Because it's in your death, the death of you, that life springs up through you in him. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christians, you don't need to go around being worried about tomorrow. You don't need to be worried about the economy. You don't need to be worried about toilet paper. You don't need to worry about wearing a mask again. You don't need to be worried about, I mean, how much stuff did so many people fall for three years ago? And they're all looking around saying, uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yes, you did. Stop falling for the lines that the enemy is feeding you. Your life should be paced by the race that you're running in Jesus not the race of this world. Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes for me, please. 
If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, it's, it's time for me to go deeper. It's time for me to stop playing this game. It's time for 